Hey everyone, it's another week of Find Your Film. We're post Halloween, so not a lot of I don't know I don't know if Eric Eric Holmes, aka Earl Haskins, or Bruce Perky, aka Vampirky, <laughs> Vampirky, if they have any <laughs> horror thriller type of movies for this week, maybe some of those will be a spill. Oh, Vampirky just showed me his fangs, a little bit scary. Okay, so uh, I don't know, maybe they might have some scary films. A little bit post-Halloween, we always welcome that because both of those guys, both Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes, they love their horror thriller films, and uh, I've, I've been educated from, from all the teachings. From I'm just I'm just thrown away. I don't even know what Earl Haskins means. That's an Eric Holmes uh, moniker or Van Perky. We're gonna learn this episode what those two monikers they have on our Zoom chat, our Zoom call is all about. If you want to see the video version of Find Your Film, you're gonna go to Bruce Perky's YouTube channel, Rusto Meyer, R U S T O M I R E. We have one big movie this week and a whole bunch of other big movies. The first movie we're going to do is Let Him Go. It's the latest film from Diane Ladd and Kevin Costner. Eric Holmes, do you remember what movie both those uh, Diane Lane and Kevin Costner starred in? Do you remember the movie they both starred in recently? Let Him Go or another one? Yeah. Do you, do you remember the movie they, they were in before Let Him Go? Do you, do you kind of remember? I remember a bunch that Kevin Costner was in, and I know a bunch that Diane Lane was in. I cannot think of what they were both in, but I'm pretty sure once you tell me, I'm going to kick myself. So, Bruce Berkey, throw throw down the answer. What's the answer, Bruce Berkey? Um, it's the sequel to Bug, uh, Man of Steel. <laughs> ah, son of a nut! <laughs> the sequel to Bug, Man of Steel. By the way, Bug. It's a reference to. Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes, they both love that film from William Friedkin. We covered that, if I recall, last week. Eric Holmes covered it weeks ago. Um, both of them are fans of Bug. I still haven't seen Bug. Now, before we get into Let Him Go, do we – oh, you know what? Do we have a, a little bit of an update? Earl Haskins, Eric Holmes, have you been watching a lot of movies? Are you working on games? What have you been doing the last week? Oh, just been uh, working on a – you're talking about the game? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, game. yeah. Um, yeah. You've been so a lot of time. That, yeah. Yeah. So the the screenplay I wrote, you know, I was trying to think. That eventually, I'm going to do a uh, crowdfunding thing to raise money to shoot the movie. And I was thinking of what, like, what are some cool like uh, crowdfunding like prizes or what? What, what would you call them? Uh, yeah. What, per, what gifts perks? or whatever for the yeah right. perks? There you go. Perks. And uh, I I got this uh, I got this alien RPG. It's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons, but it's based off the movie Alien. And I was like, oh, this is really nice. And then I started thinking of like uh, my script. And I was like, you know, that really lend itself well to a D&D type game. And so I started making a game, developing a game based on the, <laughs> the script I the script I wrote. And uh, it it turned out it, it it went from like this really neat idea to this pain in the ass that I've been working on the last couple months. And uh, actually, been we got it's not done yet, but we've gotten to the point where we're starting to test the game out, and we played it like five times, and it's really fun. And so, I think once we start doing the uh, crowdfunding thing, that'll probably be one of the perks because I got to figure out how I'm going to, you know, publish the book, make the game pieces and whatnot. And uh, yeah, more to come on that. But it's it's pretty fun. I played it five times, and everyone seems to dig it. So. 
And yeah, we'll, it, we'll, it, we'll it, see how we'll see what comes with that. It copies the settings that are in your screenplay. Are there any other extra locations, or is the world of your screenplay specifically tailored to the world of that game? It started off just the same setting as this is the screenplay. And so now it's taking me a little extra longer is we, our group that was playing went outside the map. Yeah. And so now I'm, instead of just having the map of the place where they're all, where the whole movie takes place at, now I'm developing a map of the whole city. And so there, and so there's different houses or different buildings. And so you can play the game starting off as the setting within the screenplay. Yeah. But I'm also going to have like other houses and other characters within the, within the uh, city that you can play as them too. Same, you know, same uh, uh, game mechanics, but you'll be able to play different stories and whatnot in there. And so it's, it's getting a lot bigger than I originally intended to, but that's okay. Cause that just kind of makes the game have more replay value, I guess. That is pretty cool. That is, that seems like hours upon hours of work. <laughs> oh, months upon months of work. It's kind of work. It's kind of, it, it's, it's worth it so far. Wow, that is amazing, Bruce Perky. How have you been the last week? What What have you been up to? Watching, uh, watching movies, working, um, just dealing with life, <laughs> ups and downs. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> ups and downs. You're gonna leave it at that. Well, I'll leave it at that. You're not gonna leave it at this because let him go before we go. Do to let him go. Do we have some rewinds before we get into the big let him go? Yes, I have one rewind, and I did watch uh, Eric's suggestion from last week was Turn Blue. The Short Life of Gulardi. I will not attempt to do the uh, voice of Gulardi. I'll leave that to Eric. Yes, the, master of, the master of Gulardi. Sure, you do good at it, though. You know? <laughs> I'll call you king for now. Right <laughs> hey. now, I was king, but now you're king. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and Greg is in Parma. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a ton of fun. It's not that long. It's on YouTube. If you don't have any experience with kind of horror TV show hosts, that alone is interesting, but his whole amazing anarchic entertainment, fly by the seat of your pants, small town, like we've got the studio and now we're going to run with it and become like icons within our community. I mean, that, that, all that stuff is incredibly fun and something that if you don't live in that area, you probably have no knowledge of. And it kind of brings up those, it'll make you wonder about your own areas and, and think about your own things. Now, obviously you're down near Hollywood. Uh, Greg, so you got all kinds of stuff that you could probably pull up as far as that. But I can remember like some of the small TV hosts in my area and how those impacted everybody in my area. So if you lived in the Northwest in a certain time period, I could say JP Patches and you know Mm -hmm. who that was. It's a really a lot of fun is a great context for entertainment in local markets, as well as the father of very amazing filmmakers. So it has that great tie in, which is just kind of fun as well. Oh, also, as Eric had mentioned, if you ever watch The Love Boat or tons of things on TV, you'll recognize the voice when he's not doing Goulardi. <laughs> yeah, what's, so. what's Goulardi's real name, Eric? Do you remember Anderson or something like that? Yeah, Ernie Anderson. Yeah. I After we did that, after you talked about that movie, I, I looked him up on YouTube and I go, that's a voice I grew Basically, he's the voice, if you're in your 40s, you grew up with. 
throughout that decade. Like you said, he's that yeah. the, he's the voice. So I had yeah. no idea. And uh, ultimately, I definitely want. So it's worth checking out. It's not in even if it's not a little bit inside baseball, uh, a certain kind of niche. Is it does it have universal appeal, you think? Or what do you that's think? what makes it I think more fun is that there's a level of inside baseball, but that makes it unless you were there, it's going to be almost all new to you. But it'll also have that appeal up. It'll remind you of your own similar experiences and maybe kind of bring that nostalgia back to you for your own area of the United States, depending on where you grew up. So it's good stuff. Okay. So again, it's called Turn Blue, the Short Life of Goulardi. Turn Blue, the Short Life of Goulardi. It is on YouTube. You can catch it on YouTube. Okay. So now our big film this week, it's out in theaters. I I can't believe movies are actually playing in theaters these days. But it's out in theaters November 6th, Let Him Go, starring Kevin Costner and Diane Lane. They're the main stars of this movie. It also stars, I'm trying to think it's, uh, who's the other woman? Um, she kind of, remind me of, kind of reminds me of the girl from um, Animal. What is that movie? I'm just completely spacing. The Animal Kingdom. She has this really showy role. And wasn't she? Yeah, Leslie Manville. Yeah, Leslie Manville. It's not, Leslie Manville was not in Animal Kingdom, but it's, it's Jackie Weaver in Animal Kingdom. What I meant yes. to say in a roundabout way, it's a very showy Animal Kingdom type of role. Now, I saw Let Him Go. Bruce, you saw Let Him Go. Eric, you were trying to see Let Him Go. You had a little bit of technical difficulties with that? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, did, I did not see Let Him Go, so I will allow you to. to... Tiebreaker. <laughs> tiebreaker. Yeah, there goes, there goes a tiebreaker, Eric Holmes. But is, this I, a, is this another painted bird situation? Yeah, yes, I think so. You know what? I think in all fairness with the with the situations with screener links, I always have technical issues with my own screener links. Sometimes they expire. A lot of times I can't even get them to work on my freaking iPad. Thankfully, Bruce, you were able to wor- get it to work on your wh- whatever device you saw. I'm going to do a quick synopsis. Basically, Let Him Go centers on a retired sheriff played by Kevin Costner and his wife played by Diane Lane. They're living in this just ranch style, beautiful area, and it's it's quiet. They have they have their son who's tending the ranch or the farm with them, and their son has a a wife and and they have a grandson. The son automat, you know, within several minutes, he dies from a unexpected horse riding accident. And we cut to several years later and their, their daughter-in-law ends up marrying someone else, someone else. His last name happens to, he's, he's wee boy. He's something wee boy. That's his last name, wee boy. And this wee boy, dude, he takes the daughter-in-law, their daughter-in-law and the grandson away from their beautiful halcyon existence into somewhere in the Dakotas in a very hidden remote area that. And when you say we boys, they're they're not exactly like Ozzy and Harriet. They're not they're not the Cunninghams. The, when you mention the name we boy in the Dakotas, a the feeling of terror and nightmarish violence will pop into any denizen within that environment. So that's the ultimate story of Let Him Go. It's how these two people they really miss their grandson and they believe their grandson, who obviously is the last tie to their dead son, they want their grandson back. And they will do anything in their power to take their grandson away from the wee boys. So Bruce Perky, it sounds like a very cool pulp noir drama thriller. It's getting amazingly great reviews. A couple of bad reviews here and there, but mainly really solid, excellent reviews. What I wanted to hear what you ultimately thought of Let Him Go. 
Oh, I, I was not on board for this movie pretty much throughout. I wish it had been pulpy. It needed to be pulpy, but it thought it was a much more than a pulpy. And I think that's where a lot of times I think I fall down in these movies. It's a lot of times it's not the subject matter. It's the, the tone doesn't catch me right. I think we've had this before where I don't like the tone of it. To me, this is like, it's trying to tread the line between pulp and a lifetime movie, but also trying to pretend like it's more elevated. I mean, you talked about the beginning, right? So within what, 15 minutes, we have this, well, we have the, you know, the setup with the grandparents and everyone's this beautiful, loving family. And it's kind of the trope that you see in like, I don't know, Walking Dead, right? Where there's this beautiful idyllic moment and you know that just means one of those characters is going to die and it's kind of one of those kind of things there's a few of those in this movie where you're like okay i know why we're doing this so it's a perfect grandma grandpa grandson kid he dies and then flash forward like you said and then you didn't mention though the fact that grandma just happens to pull up and see wife and grandkid getting beaten on the street like just on the street just physically abused and it's like oh no these guys are bad and then we're off to go get them now, if it had stayed in that super pulpy, like energetic mode, I could have kind of gone with it as it's sort of a, a really, um, I don't know, just kind of campy movie. But then it like slows down and we're supposed to be in character mode. And we're for an hour almost driving along with Costner and Lane. And then eventually we get there and some good, good-ish stuff happens. It's all, oh, and there's, there's a magic Indian in this too. I forgot to mention that. Magic Native American guy that drops in. Oh, that, was, that was nice. Magic Indian. He was. He's a loner. There's, there's that was a guy, nice trope. He's he's a trope. He, he's he's an Indian. He he's he's from a you know has a wayward childhood a little bit. Not it's not his doing. He's a lovable guy. It's him and his horse. He didn't he didn't know where he found a horse. He has a, oh. he lives somewhere in in the. <laughs> and we mentioned the horribly manipulative back flashback about a horse. And whispering that gets done later on. Oh my God, that was so cheesy. I mean, let's see. Okay, I will say the good. The good. Kevin Costner is actually good in this. And I'm not a huge Costner guy, but he's solid. And he's really understated, I think. And he plays it right, like all the way through. And I also want to mention Bill Weeboy. So like the main Weeboy's son is uh, Jeffrey Donovan, I believe. Yes. Who was in Villains. He was awesome in Villains. And he's yeah. really good in this. He, I think, strikes the perfect balance of menace, that kind of friendly menace that you get with people. Like, you just know he's acting friendly, but he is not. Now, Blanche, like you said, she's chewing the scenery. And in another movie, that would work great. But here, it's kind of like, she's in a different movie totally altogether. Anyway, uh, no, this is not for me. Absolutely. You're like not even three stars. You're, I think this sounds like a two-star review. Two stars. Wow. You know, Let Him Go is going to be probably, I think, Diane Lane. Was she good? Did you like Diane Lane in this? She's the heart of the movie. I did Uh-oh. not like her performance at all. I thought, and everyone's <laughs> praising her performance. I thought her performance was like, if you watch it, she kind of plays this like the kind of the smiling, knowing, you know, flinty grandma. Like, but she plays it the same all the way through. She plays that kind of smiley, knowing, flinty grandma. And there's a few moments where she strikes into actually acting and kind of taking it seriously or elevating a little bit. But overall, I I, I didn't like her performance either. Wow, I'm sorry. I am no, don't be sorry. I look. Here's the thing. Here, here, oh, and the score was horrible. <laughs> wow, wow. Okay, first of all, I'm gonna disagree with you on, on a couple point pointed facts. 
I, I think, <laughs> I think, I think, facts, I, are they? <laughs> no, facts or, or opinions. Well, I mean, for me, it's facts. Facts. This is, we're going to, it's almost, this is going to be, Eric almost, loves this. This is going to be, this is almost going to be like the painted bird, but there's going to be a twist. Okay. I thought mm. Diane Lane, I agree with you, Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner, Diane Lane, they, we, we saw their chemistry in Man of Steel. It's like seeing these, these people work for, seeing them on screen together in a film is always going to get at least three stars for me. Like, total recommendation just because i love their performances in this movie diane lane i can i could see where you're coming from but i i've always been a diane lane fan biasly i think she's fantastic in this movie i wouldn't be surprised if she gets maybe an oscar nomination for her work in this movie about a woman who will do anything for her grandson even take her husband the retired sheriff who just wants to let sleeping dogs lie and get on with his life with his wife and see, it's, it's, I think it's a really cool construct because one man, one person, the, the husband wants to just stay in the ranch and die, just slowly, gradually <laughs> die and, and live out, eke out his existence. And his wife, she wants to go out and get the grandson. And I, I just I just think that's an interesting dynamic. Leslie Manville as the matriarch, Blanche Weeboy, she is the best part of this movie. Even though she's really not in this movie, she is fantastic. <laughs> she's chewing a lot of scenery, but I, I think the whole fantastic. movie should have been that though. That should have been the whole movie. She's so opinion. there's there's that the the dining the dining sequence when they when she's the dinner sequence when they had the little sh- just talk back and forth. I thought that was fantastic. Okay, there's so many fantastic things about this movie. This movie gets at <laughs> least three stars for me. Okay, and that's where the stars end. It does not even get three and a half stars. It starts at three stars, meaning it's a recommend for me if you love Diane Lane, Kevin Costner, and if you want to see the performance of Leslie Manville, which is out of this world. Fantastic. Again, Jeffrey Donovan, fantastic. So the performances are excellent in this movie. Written and directed by Thomas Bezucha, based on a novel by Larry Watson. This felt to me, and I, I feel bad saying this, this felt to me like Cormac McCarthy light. Like if Cormac McCarthy skim milk... And you put the skim milk on your cookie crisp and you eat the cookie crisp. I like cookie crisp. I, I like it's It's not completely great for me, but it goes down almost smooth. That's why I give it three stars. But Thomas Bezucha did not know what kind of movie he's making. It takes four. I, I looked at my, I looked at my, my, uh, my cell phone. It took 47 minutes to get to, to the wee boys. If you do not have an interesting 47 minutes and the only thing you have your hat to hang on is the charisma of Diane Lane and Kevin Costner and all that period production design detail, that's fine. But bring some life into the proceedings. And it was a slog getting to the Wee Boys. Once we got to the Wee Boys, that's all we didn't I stay long enough. Stay we didn't stay long enough. There, oh, and by the way, Eric, there is a scene in Let Him Go that is straight up there's a couple of scenes that straight up pulp. One of them is just like straight out of a friggin' Jim Thompson novel that you go, I cannot believe this is happening. This is, it will blow you away. There are moments that will just shock the living, you know what, out of you, but it's just few and far between. And I just felt, I really, I agree with you, Bruce. I wish Thomas Bazucha went the pure, just gothic thriller, pulpy, a little bit cheesy. Great dark didn't you like the scene when they were eating the cake in the car didn't that just light you on fire (laughs) look look i love diane and and kevin i just wish they had more more to work with and i understand having a sparse narrative but to me this movie just 
felt like a little bit of it just didn't i i think about that movie the, the chloe's uh Jean movie whatever the writer or something whatever that thing mm. that's a slow movie but it works this movie mm. just in many ways doesn't doesn't really hit the homer for me it's more like it's not even a single up the middle it might be just like a fielder's choice kind of it's a three-star film for me based only so, on the performances since eric didn't see it and he's not able to really contribute his opinion on it i would suggest why doesn't eric tell the listeners out there who may not know most of them should know but what does a three-star movie from greg mean it could be anywhere from a uh 3.9 <laughs> stars or a zero star. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanna I wanna jump on something that Bruce said though. Uh you said that Diane Lane plays a uh like a grandma type character. I still have Diane Lane completely burning my head from Streets of Fire. So she's always that Diane Lane yeah. to me. So when you said Diane Lane as a grandma, I'm like, she's not a grandma, she's not even anywhere oh. close. Don't get me wrong. She's a hot grandma. She is. <laughs> well, well, no, I, I keep like, she's always 19 in my head. Even, yeah. even if I'm looking at her right now, it's like, Oh yeah, she looks, you know, but I, yeah, it was I, great I, to see her again. It was great. Yeah. They could have unleashed them. They could have really unleashed them. Like we agree right on that part, yeah. Greg. Yeah. They could, this could have been like, it's funny because the beginning is almost the same as the new Rambo movie. It's yeah. almost shot for shot. Like he's sitting there looking at the, the horses and sitting there and he's kind of like, I'm my life is set. And then something happens to upend it and off you have to go on a dangerous adventure. But at least the new Rambo movie, whether you like it or not, it knew what it was. It and went you there. Know what, and- dude, it just took itself too seriously, man. Night of the Hunter. Someone on our cinematics Facebook group was talking about Night of the Hunter. That's a great film where it could have night. One of the great things about Night of the Hunter is it doesn't take itself seriously. Mm-hmm. It's a serious movie that knows that it's a gothic, dark, guilty as sin thriller. And this is what, in my opinion, Let Him Go will be. And okay, not for nothing. Anderson always likes to say this. Sometimes critics will jump on a movie just because of it, it has that Oscar sheen. And I have, a lo- I have a feeling people will start loving Let Him Go because of a lot of the great groundswell of critical praise it's receiving. And it deserves it in a sense for the performances, but man, this to me, when I think of let him go, I think of a huge wasted opportunity at at Mm. something that could have been transcendent within that genre. Right. And we get to, yeah. And when we get to year end, I can definitely think of a bunch of cool, weird, unseen, hardly seen movies this year that have fantastic performances that probably will get ignored. So yeah. Yeah. All I'm right. Looking at ending things. What? Oh, sorry. Yeah. What? Well, no, no worries. It would have been cool, Eric. I, 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 it sucks that you had the technical with the thing. You would have been the tiebreaker on this one, but I, you're not even really a tiebreaker because actually no. Bruce and I kind of really, I liked it a little bit more than you just because of the goodwill of Costner and Lane. <laughs> and, and friggin' look, Leslie Manville, again, I, I agree with you, <laughs> yeah. Bruce. Just, they should have, you know what? If they just did a movie called The Wee Boys, are we, yes. are, right? Like a town terrorized by the we terrorized by the wee boys. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like Billy Jack style or something, where it's like, <laughs> yeah. Instead of wake and fright, it'll be wee boys in fright, and they just go right through the the, the Dakotas, yeah. and they get they get the Indian. That at the end they, they get the Indian. He's the last one surviving, and they get him. He could he could be the the main character. Yeah, right? honestly, right. <laughs> it could have just been him in that town having to deal with the wee boys. Yeah, 
I would watch that movie tonight if it was. I would. I would watch Jeffrey Donovan fixing his car outside his home, out in the middle of nowhere, for two. Right? This movie had so much potential. I'm sorry. Okay, so that is it. We're we're finished (laughs) with with Let Him Go. I apologize, Eric Holmes. November six in theaters. Maybe don't trust me or or Bruce, especially if you love Diane or Kevin. But uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe trust us too. Eric Holmes, your it's your time. Your time to shine. What is your first recommendation this week? Okay, well, uh, I guess I will start off with a uh, a thing I saw it was the Thursday before Halloween, and it was God. I guess this is a Dana Gould project. It's a uh, it's Plan Nine from Outer Space, um, but apparently, and I I don't have much information on this, but. Uh, Dana Gould apparently got a bunch of people together basically to do an online kind of Zoom style uh, script reading of Plan 9 from Outer Space. And what we got on here, we got Maria Bamford, Bobcat Goldthwait, Dana Gould, David Koechner, uh, Bob Odenkirk, Paul F. Tompkins, a bunch of people. Uh, Anderson's friend, Mike Carano, did the uh, little miniature effects. Because uh, what what they would do is they would between scenes when no one's reading lines they would cut to these little miniature sets that actually look really fucking good. I mean they look. If I didn't know better, I would think that they just pulled them straight out of Plan Nine from Outer Space. And it, it's it's kind of fun. They just did one recently of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, uh, yeah. It it was kind of like this, but this was a little. I I think this was the people in it got a little more into it. Some of them wore costumes. Some of them had like backgrounds and it, it was really fun. And it's uh, still, as far as I can tell, it's still available to rent on sfsketchfest.com. Okay. And just look up plan on from outer space SF. I'm guessing that's San Francisco sketchfest.com. Uh, but sfsketchfest.com look up plan nine from outer space. And that's very fun. <laughs> And then there's another one that's kind of, I I mentioned to you guys, I wasn't going to do this, but this turned out to be something that I wasn't quite expecting. And it's kind of on the, on the similar note of an online thing. And this one, I'm not sure what to say about it because it might not be available by the time this comes out. And I don't know if it'll be available again, but if it is, or maybe you can find it somewhere online, it's definitely worth your time. It's uh, Mr. Bungle did a, uh, did an online show uh, and it's Mr. Bungle. It's got Trevor Dunn, Trace Bronze, Mike Patton, but they also have uh, Dave Lombardo and Scott Ian. And they're doing their first demo, Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny. They re-recorded it. And then they play a bunch of covers from other hardcore punk bands. And I knew, I, I knew they were going to do this online, but I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be. Cause I've seen bands play where like, it's kind of a zoom thing. Like everyone's, in their own place playing yeah this is not that at all this is this is a straight up variety show it starts off it's an hour before the band even starts playing uh they start off with like a behind the scenes of uh the band members getting ready to play the show and they talk about what the genesis of going back to re-recording uh you know the idea of wanting to re-record raging wrath of the easter bunny how they got david lombardo and scott ian on it and then so they got, you know, they got that little bit of, of a documentary sort of thing there. And then Neil, <laughs> if you know who Neil Hamburger is, uh, Neil Hamburger's got a good yep. like 
10, 15 minute set. And so the okay, the whole thing's set in um a library in Eureka, California, where they're from. And so <laughs> uh Neil Hamburg is doing his comedy set in front of nobody, which I'm sure he's used to at this point. <laughs> and <it> kind of <laughs> if you know Neil Hamburger, that's kind of yeah. very on brand for him. He he's got his uh comedy set, which is look here. If you know who Neil Hamburger is and you're a fan, you know what to expect. If you don't know what to expect from Neil Hamburger, I can't tell you if you like it or not, but he's definitely a very specific kind of comedy. And if you're into it, then you'll love it. And if not, you'd probably just be like, who the fuck's this asshole? And then move on. But it's then almost like imagine an Andy Kaufman character or something. Got it. Yeah. Like, you know? cool. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm I'm not going to attempt a Neil Hamburger impression. (laughs) Um, So he gets done. Then they got a little more of a a behind the scenes documentary. And then the band plays, they come out and they're playing on the set in the, in the uh, library in Eureka. And they got like all the lights up to set up like a stage and they're playing. And the, you know, it looks really good. And the songs, it, if you like hardcore punk or metal, I, I mean, the album's out. Go listen to it. You're going to fucking dig it. They open up with uh, Mr. Rogers, and then they go into uh, hardcore punk after that. That wasn't the hardcore punk part. But so anyway, they play the they play this show, and in between, because they're playing in front of no one, just like Neil Hamburger is. But so they get done playing, and you hear, what 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 is this? Is this all there is? And then they cut, and it's uh, Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And he's the only one sitting there. He's the only crowd. And then so they cut back to the band playing. They play another couple songs. And then they cut back. And they're like, fuck you. Fuck you. And they cut back. And it's Henry Rollins, like, giving them, like, heckling them, giving them shit. So in between songs, they're like, you know, they just keep cutting to all these, like, cameos of people. And then they also play into the whole, uh, they do all the cliches that you would see in, um, they do all the cliches that you would see at live shows like, all right, you guys ready for another one? But they're playing by themselves. <laughs> they're playing by themselves in the same. So they're like, all right, who wants to hear another one? And then they play cricket noises and they're like, all right, here's another one. <laughs> and so, awesome. uh, yeah, they, they, they really lean into the fact that they're playing in front of no one. And there's a bunch of surprises that I haven't even mentioned yet. And it might not be available or who knows, maybe I, I really hope they put this out on like DVD or Blu-ray or something or have available online. Some, I mean, it's, it's, you know, they had it available online, but um, maybe this might be one of those things, you know, they put it out for a limited time and then it's gone forever, but maybe it becomes like one of those things where like, or a DVD or something heard about that. uh, Mr. Bungle, uh, the night they came home. Oh yeah. Yeah. Check it out! I got a, I got a little, uh, I got a little VHS copy of it. Or something. <laughs> uh, may, maybe that's what they're going for. I don't know. Or you know, maybe by the time this comes out, they'll announce that they'll have a release. I have no idea what they're doing with this, but it was fantastic. And uh, they did a, uh, oh yeah, they did a. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay, at the, at the end of the at the end of the show, they get done playing, they leave. And then they're going to do an encore, but there's no crowd there. (laughs) (laughs) 
So then they all walk out. They're like, oh, you guys want to hear another one? Okay. <laughs> like nobody. Nothing. And then they do, uh, then they end up doing a Van Halen song and they fucking crush it. it it's, uh, I, I can't remember the name of the, it's like one of those double songs, Torah Torah's the intro part. And then the Torah Torah. Oh, I was going to say, I was going to say eruption, but not, yeah, if it's Torah Torah. No, 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 it's Torah Torah into whatever that other song is. I can't remember the name of it. But uh, yeah, dude, they, they do it straight up, and it sounds awesome. That I think you could probably go on Twitter and find a clip of it. But yeah, this was fantastic. So you got the Mister Bungle the night they came home, which may or may not be available. And then you got a Dana Gould and friends Plan Nine from Outer Space on sfsketchfest.com, which I believe you can rent, and that's something fun to you know get some people together and have some fun with. I can't wait to start listening to Mr. Bungle on my Spotify. That's going to be with the best. Maybe I should start with a new album and work my way backwards. That, that'd be a pretty good idea. Yeah. So. Well, well, technically it's their first album. They're just re-recording it. So mm-hmm. you're oh. kind of doing their first and last album at the same time. Oh, okay. <laughs> technically. okay, cool, cool. Sweet. Bruce, what you got? Yes. Uh, I have a brand new movie on Netflix, but first Uh-oh. I can give you my short Mr. Bungle Connection, and that is in my early years of my YouTube channel, I did an interview with the Melvins, but at that tour, they were Melvins Light, and Trevor Dunn was in the band for that tour, so I have an interview if you go way into the deep depths of Rustlemeyer, because I used to hang out with uh, Buzz back in like 1983 and 84, so. Did you post that on Cinematics uh, a couple years ago? Probably. I did see that. That yeah, go check that out. <laughs> oh. We need to we need to hunt that down and find that find that link and post it on cinematics or something because I I did I do if it's the thing I'm thinking of I do remember seeing that and that was pretty awesome. Yeah, so I used to hang out with those guys a million years ago. Okay, so now that back to cool. movies. Yeah, I watched this movie called His House from 2020 on Netflix, uh, directed by Remy Weeks. I believe this is Remy Weeks' first feature it's it basically there's two main stars of this and that is a character named bowl played by sopi derisu and rial his wife played by wunmi musaku and here's the basic concept of it uh it starts out and you see the couple and their young child um loading on to a refugee truck in sudan and then you smash cut to the family and an overloaded boat at night traveling obviously across a body of water to get away from where they're from in Sudan. And then you smash cut to everybody in the water and they are get flowing away from their child and their child is struggling in the water. Oh my God. That is a nightmare. Yeah. And then it cuts to the story in present day, which is in London. They are refugees and they are getting the notification that they're finally getting their uh, getting a house. They're allowed to stay in there on like, you know, residential status, you know, refugee. They're not, you know, citizens or anything, but they're going to get a house. It's like, you know, government supplied house. So it's basically this terrible rundown, you know, house in basically the project somewhere in London. You know, like when they get shown the house, the door is falling off the hinges. They go, oh, yeah, you can go around the corner and get some screws and fix that. So right off the bat, you have emotional stakes, 
with this couple. And I would just say right off the bat, both performances are amazing. Now, I haven't seen either of these actors, but I believe William Lindis, who also watched this, said that I think it's Wunmi uh, Musaku, who's the wife, um, Rial. I believe she's in the brand new um, Lovecraft Country, which I have not seen. But yeah. if she's even near as effective as she is in this movie, you should watch out for her. She's she's really good. Uh, the only other character you might recognize is Matt Smith, who was one of the doc, doc, doctors in Doctor Who recently. He plays kind of like their kind of like the equivalent of their parole officer in a sense that he checks in on them, makes sure they're not like, you know, doing something that will basically um, cause them to not be allowed to be in the country anymore and get kicked out. So. That's kind of the basic setup. They have a really grounded, interesting, realistic setup, and then they start to become haunted. In other words, they're haunted by visions, especially the father is haunted by visions of their dead daughter, you know, that they lost. And it becomes a really, really interesting emotional story of redemption, revenge, maybe guilt, um, being an outsider in a new land, there's all kinds of really interesting stuff going on. And this director is, is a really, really cool thing here. As the couple and the situation kind of starts to break down, there are really interesting scenes that you wouldn't think would be suspenseful, but they are. There's a moment where the husband's away for the day and they don't have jobs. They're, only, they're given like an allowance and that's it. They're not allowed to earn extra money. They basically have to prove that they can be there. So he's drawn this little map for her of how to get to like a nearby store. She's never, never left the house at this point. And at one point she leaves the house and she starts walking around the neighborhood and you just get this oppressive, dreadful feeling of what it is to be like a stranger in a strange land. Like every corner she takes, it's like she's in a maze almost. She doesn't know where she's at. She's lost. She runs by kids. You know, it's a rundown neighborhood. So there's, you know, rough kids and you feel like she's in threat just there. And that's not even the haunting story. Uh, I would just say that if you like an effective ghost story, but also an effective drama about people in a really interesting and unfortunately kind of tragically real situation, it's very good at that. And I would say the twist in this is amazing. And Get out of here. Is, oh, wow. It's not, it's not the kind of twist that's cheap. It's a kind of twist that actually upends the emotional stakes that you've had. And it explains some things that have happened throughout. So when the twist happens, it's actually kind of emotionally devastating. I would say it's almost to the level of like a sixth sense kind of twist, but not as gimmicky. It's just something about the situation that you didn't have the full picture of and you're given the full picture of it. Is it like, I know it's not a twist, but is it like almost walkabout and don't look now type of memorable plot. Whoa, I can't believe this just happened. It's it's not quite as stylish as those two movies. Those two movies are really, they have a lot of style. They're a very creative in the editing and everything. I think it's a little more straightforward in those aspects, but um, it's a really effective, small, dramatic, emotional movie. And I think it's, I think it's really quite excellent. It's really good. Do you want that director to do more type of films like this when you say small or do you see this as a canvas, a jumping off point to a broader canvas financially, like as far as like a bigger scope or you don't want him to do that? that it could be either or. I mean, I think that what you see here is a really deaf, a deaf feel for acting and using acting in a, an emotional sense in a movie that could have been really cheap and gimmicky. And it's not. So it's almost, I almost didn't want to call it a ghost story because it, it it's, it almost isn't, but there is that aspect to it. And it does have some moments that are, you know, creepy and scary, but they're 
fully at the service of a dramatic like human story so very his house currently i definitely eric holmes are you is your appetite wetted for his oh, house my appetite is sopping sopping <laughs> Whose house, his house, Ron's house, his house. Okay. I almost made that joke. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I'm the idiot who always, uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm the one who's gonna do the st- stupid, funny stuff. You're, you're the one, Eric Holmes, who actually has a sense of humor. So a real one. Um, you, you listen to Mr. Bungle. I'm the one who listens to like the worst kind of music. So oh, anyway, you listen to Hardline, and Hardline. That's it. Great. Hardline is amazing. I, I need to listen to Hardline more and we need to bring Hardline back. We need to bring that Hardline thread back into the world of find your film. And maybe, you know, Mr. Bunkle, yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting threads. Maybe that's something I definitely want to do some kind of rewind on the Bungle stuff. So I have a recommendation. And this is a little bit, by the way, his house, I checked Rotten Tomatoes listeners. I never, I rarely see see this. It's been out for maybe a week, Bruce. Yeah, it's a new 100. release. Okay, new release. Do you know what it, what the rating is? Hundred percent, one hundred percent from the from critics, and it's low low rating by the aud- audience members. And what I mean by low rating, eighty percent. That's still awesome. So I'm just saying, I have a feeling the twenty percent who do- doesn't like it, maybe it's just not their type of film. But the eighty yeah. percent, I'm assuming, really love it. Well, this is the kind of movie that if you go in like, I want to a creepy jumpy ghost story they're going to be disappointed because it's like such a human dramatic story they're going to be like "Why i wanted a ghost story you know so i could see that crowd not digging it you know oh wait hey hey whoa whoa whoa, whoa. bruce you know what you just mm-hmm. said you just you just laid a pitfall for me and you and not for eric but you well maybe you and i went into let let him go expecting a pulpy noir thing but we were not mature enough to handle the story is that a good theory? No, that's a terrible theory. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. I wanted to give let, let him go because we love, I love focus features. Thank you for the screening links. You guys are amazing. <laughs> I love come play. I did love come play at least. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm gonna, okay. Uh, I'm going to cut out that, that comment, Bruce Perky. I'm, I'm on editor. I'm kidding. Okay. So Kindred, I have a movie, Kindred. It comes out in theaters, actually in cable VOD, select theaters, digital platforms, Kindred. Now, centers on this uh, pregnant woman, okay, pregnant black woman, her husband, not her husband, her boyfriend recently dies. The thing is her boyfriend, he is, his mother is played by Fiona Shaw. I'm sure you guys know who Fiona Shaw is. She's fantastic. His, her mother-in-law is a very uh, hands-on type of woman. She's very hands-on with the family. So what happens is after her her boyfriend dies, this pregnant woman ends up staying in the Scottish estate mansion of her mother-in-law and her stepbrother. Her stepbrother is played by Jack Loudon, L-O-W-D-E-N. And Kindred is a very simple plot. It's about how this woman feels like she's being gaslit throughout the entire experience living in this estate and and they both of them have a really obsessive attachment to their soon to to the soon to be born baby 
So it's a very it's a it's a movie about fam the bonds the ties that bind about family, but also the suffocating love that a family that people must endure sometimes endure in these type of situations. And the lead actress Tamara Lawrence, she's excellent as the pregnant woman who believes she who might be slowly going a little bit not insane, just mentally imbalanced because of being gaslit supposedly by the mother uh, mother in law and this this um. And her brother-in-law. So everyone's good in this. Fiona Shaw's good in this. Jack Loudon's good in this. The director, Joe Marcantonio, he also co-wrote this one. It's his featured directing debut. It is 101 minutes. At the end of the interview, I asked him what's one of his favorite movies. And he mentioned Brian De Palma's Blowout. So I'm sorry I'd say that. But after he said that, I sort of... I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say I love Kindred even more. I just understood where he was going. And this is what, how I'm going to qualify it. It's 101 minutes. It's a slow burn type of movie. It's not quick cutting. It's not jump scares. It's a gradually paced film. Just like Let Him Go for 47 minutes was gradually paced, slow paced. But in this case, in Kindred's case, it works. There are some supernatural elements. You may think, what's this raven or what are these crows doing? around the mansion, et cetera, et cetera. And it's qualified. It's it's called a mystery and thriller. The thing with this, with Kindred is at the end of the movie, the climax, it will really split a lot of viewers. Okay. You're either going to love it or you're going to really be disappointed. I chose being complete, loving the uncompromising nature of the film. It knows what it wants to be and it doesn't pander to our expectations. Sometimes I wish movies would pander to our expectations, like let him go. This time, this movie doesn't pander to it and it actually works. So Kindred, highly recommended for me. Four-star film, not a three-star film, four-star film for me. It'd be interesting to see what you guys would think of Kindred once. I'm thinking maybe you guys might be split on Kindred as well, but who knows? Maybe you might give the director a little bit of a, little upscale because he loves blowout so much so anyways that is my recommendation for this week kindred eric holmes what's your next pick all right uh my next pick was one recommended by a friend of the show angie clark and i hope i got the right movie uh because i just i just checked and uh she said this was directed by joseph lewis but uh the one i saw it's 1953's the bigamist and this one's actually directed by Ida Lupino. Uh, so either I got the wrong movie or Joseph Lewis maybe does something else. No, no, this, this is what happened, Eric Holmes. Because you were so busy creating your own RPG world <laughs> where you're going to make millions of dollars and you're going to leave me and Bruce Perky in the freaking dirt once your D&D RPG movie takes off. And by the way, we, me and Bruce, we're not going to patronize your, your, your crowdfunding because you're going to be a rich man with all that most interesting <laughs> ideas. This is what happened. Angie Clark probably recommended Bigamous to you. Ida Lupino, yeah. great director. Thank you. For that. That's a great job. Earlier in the week, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm on this Joseph H. Lewis radar. We all know we listeners, we we uh, spotlighted Joseph H. Lewis on an on a re, um on a previous episode of Find Your Film. Great director for the big combo. There's a group member, Joseph Bridges, talked about Joseph H. Lewis a couple of days ago, and he recommended the movie Terror. In a tiny town, terror in a Texas town, one of those. That's why you got those confused. So, because okay. that's so, but this one is the bigamist. So, yes. 
Yes. So The Bigamist, directed by Ida Lupino or Ida Lupino. Uh, either way, I will figure Lupino? out, do you, I will do you figure know out how to pronounce it uh, correctly because I think we may have to do an Ida Lupino spotlight here in the near future. This movie is great. It's uh, basically about... Okay, here, here's the thing about Bigamist. The, the first time I remember hearing that word is in Shaun of the Dead. They're in the room. They're like, he's a bigamist, bigamist. Like it, it, it seems like this, I'm like, oh, I don't know what the hell a bigamist is, but it must be terrible because uh, they're like being real secretive about it. And apparently it's just someone that cheats on someone or lives a double life. Do you guys, are, I mean, are you guys? I, I always knew because that's, you know, goals, but um, uh, I'm kidding. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm just kidding. But I always I, knew. I, I, I was here. I, I mean, the the way that the way that I've heard people mention bigamist, it seems almost like a like a, something more nefarious, like a rapist or something. I thought it was something bad like that. Yeah, clearly not. Um, but apparently, it's it's up. So anyway, uh, this guy he's married to his wife. He's a salesman. He goes out and he loves his wife, but him and his wife kind of they don't see each other very often. And when they do, it's kind of like, uh, okay, time to go to sleep or time to, you know, do that. They, they have other things they want to do beyond actually spending time with each other. And so when he goes out on one of his sales trips, he meets this other woman and kind of hits it off with her and they go out, you know, and she's kind of sort of interested with him, sort of not, you know, kind of. But then he, you know, goes out on other sales trips and ends up seeing her a couple of times. And then uh, eventually uh, him and this other woman, their relationship kind of gets a little uh, a little more, uh, you know, serious than it should be. It's more it becomes more than just a fling to the point where well, I should probably stop there. But he gets himself in a little bit of trouble with both of them. Neither, and, and so basically lives a double life. And neither one of them knows about each other. And this is all kind of held together because he's telling the story to this guy. His wife, um, his first wife, uh, I guess that's a spoiler. His first wife uh, can't um, have a child, so they want to adopt a baby. And so this this older guy is like, okay, well, we're not just going to give you a kid without doing some background. And so he's doing the background check, and that he eventually finds out about him and this other woman. He's a bigamist. I can't, you know. And so it's him explaining. It's the uh, the bigamist explaining to the guy doing his background check on uh, how he came to that way. So the whole movie's a flashback. And yeah, it's, it's really good. If, if it sounds very, I, 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 it sounds I, soapy and like, it is does it transcend. Does it transcend that whole? Yes. Uh, okay. Like a lot. Um, this is like a, a lifetime movie mm-hmm. and that sounds bad. <laughs> that sounds yes. bad. Yes, but it but sounds- it, it's one of those where there, it, it's all about relationship and and it's all about like oh is he gonna get found out because like he you know oh I want to tell her and right before he you know you want him to be able to tell her but then on his own terms like without getting caught and it's, it's I'm not telling this very well at all <laughs> but this this uh, fuck 
It sounds yeah. like it really sets up the characters really clearly and the stakes really clearly from what I'm it understanding. Does. Yeah, it does. And and he just keeps getting himself into bigger and bigger, you know, deeper, deeper shit, like throughout the whole thing. And oh god, the ending of this is really, really good. And kind of is there a point where they're at the same restaurant at the same time and he has to keep going back and forth? No, I'm just kidding. No, no, it it (laughs) it almost it comes this close to doing that. Um, There's actually a part where that happens, but he gets pulled aside and she's like, "You didn't think I know?" Blah blah blah. Like that that part happens, but it's subverted sort of. Mm. It's weird because this came out in 1953 before they would have needed to subvert that sort of thing. Yeah, this this is kind of like like similar to the apartment. You know, it, it the apartment's a hard movie to really sell how great it is. You just watch it and you're like, oh, this movie's awesome. The, but you try to explain it to someone, it's like, that sounds stupid. Well, yeah, it does. <laughs> but the movie's awesome. The bigness is kind of the same thing. It's like, I'm I'm just falling over myself trying to explain this and without giving away stuff that this is just going to be one you're just going to have to uh, pull the trigger on and don't take my word for it. Take Angie Clark's word for it. Cause she's the one that, you know, recommended it to me, but this one is a really, really good movie and something you should check out. And I think it's so good that I think that when it comes time for my next director spotlight, I'm going to do director Ida Lupino. Cause th- this, uh, this movie made me curious to see what else she has. I, I think, I'll, I think a lot of this too is um, the female characters in this. They have uh, it, it definitely, it definitely has its own kind of point of view to it. Well, you know, you know it, a, a, a man, uh, a male directing these characters would take the female characters in a certain point of view because a man, you know, men know their own point of view at, if they were in this position, you know, women know their point of view being in the same position, but on the other side. And I think uh, Ida Lupino does a good job kind of directing the female actresses to be their own characters and have a very unique point of view to these situations that otherwise may not have been in this movie. Also helps that uh, you're saying Ida Lupino as uh, directs, she's like you said, she's also acts in the movie Co-starring in the film is Joan Fontaine, a.k.a. the actress from Rebecca, who is, she's a fantastic actress. So you're not going to go wrong with Ida Lupino and Joan Fontaine as your leads. The bigamist is played by Edmund O'Brien, a great character actor, lead man as well in Hollywood. Yeah. In Hollywood, So yeah, you have some really good acting involved in this. And if Ida Lupino will be your next pick down the road, that'll be very interesting because I was telling yeah. him, I don't know if you've seen Bruce Perky, but down the road, I'm going to recommend both of you guys see On Dangerous Ground, which was directed by Nicholas Ray. It stars Ida Lupino, Robert Ryan, and we can get down to, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but it's a cop noir set mm-hmm. in the snow, directed, cool. by Nicol- directed by Nicholas Ray. The guy, Nicholas Ray, is the director of Rebel Without a Cause. And for years, I thought Nicholas Ray was this mastermind and this great filmmaker, and he is. Think what else has Ray done? But anyways, there was a couple other things he did. He did that I really love. Oh, 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 oh! He did the one with Humphrey Bo- Humphrey Bogart. I'll, I'll get to it in a second. But I just recently learned, maybe a year ago, that Nicholas Ray had to actually stop shooting on Dangerous Ground, which is, by the way, considered a classic because he uh, he had a nervous breakdown. Okay, he had a nervous breakdown during the shooting, and Ida Lupino, who was the lead actress in the film, took over the directing role, and she ended up having an on un- un- she ended up being uncredited. So of course, there are, 
Yeah, they, yeah. There are years. There are people like me, idiots like me, who are cinephiles who say Nicholas Ray is a man, and he is. But the fact is, why did it, it probably took me so long to realize that Ida Lupino was a fifty percent share in making On Dangerous Ground, and no, even more than fifty percent because she was a lead actress. So, yeah. if people like me forget, what about the the lay person who's just watching On Dangerous Ground? So, Ida Lupino, Eric Holmes is going to be a great choice when you get around. Yeah. And speaking Coburn. of dumbass. Uh- <laughs> I just realized this. You know, one of these days I'll actually do homework before we do the show. <laughs> Ida Lupino plays the other woman in The Bigamist. Right. I, yes. I didn't, even, I didn't even catch on until that until you said, she, I was like, Ida Lupino acted. And I knew she was an actress, but you said she acted. And so I was like, she didn't act in The big. Oh, yeah, she did. She was one of the main characters. And she's, yeah, she's very great. In it. And the fact that she directed this and she plays that character completely makes sense why her character has, so, you know, have so much uh, grayer and so much to chew on as does uh, Joe Fontaine as the, the first wife. Cool. See, now are you even more impressed of your pick in about several weeks with yeah. the Lupino? Yeah. By, by, by a lot. <laughs> by a lot. Yeah. By a freaking lot, buddy. Okay. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. You're going to have a lot of great research on Ida Lupino. And by the way, yeah. I bet you Bruce Perky knows this. He's going to trump me too, because I'm sure Bruce Perky, well, you're a Twilight Zone enthusiast, I'm assuming. Are you? Are you not? Yes, yes, I am. No, I am. I, I'm like, wait, we need to be tested for my lack of knowledge. Ida Lupino was in one of my favorite Twilight Zone film, Twilight Zone episodes. Which one? I, I think it's the, the woman who's, it's kind of like a Norma Desmond, if I recall, the Norma Desmond type, oh. where she's, she plays a woman who, who wants to actually, remember, she wants to stay in. Like close-up. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's sort of, a, it's sort of a Sunset Boulevard type of episode, and Ida Lupino is the star Didn't in that movie. By the way, before we get to you, Bruce, the, uh, the Nicholas Ray film, Nicholas Ray film, we were talking about On Dangerous Ground, the Nicholas Ray film that I really love is called In a Lonely Place, starring Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham. That's down the line, hopefully, uh, we'll end up covering that movie it's a classic film from 1950 about a screenwriter who becomes a murder suspect so it's a very inside baseball hollywood thing uh, starring humphrey bogart and gloria graham so great job on the bigamist i can't wait to watch that's a great choice and she uh i I just looked it up she also directed an episode of the twilight zone and bewit dude i yeah, this is going to be a good director's spotlight <laughs> once we get to it. We should just kick me out because, Bruce, can you <laughs> – uh, for my – my because I'm the next one. I, I, I'm i going to have probably a, not as good of a choice as Ida Lupino. Bruce, can you tease our listeners? What are we, what are they going to hear next as far as director spotlights? What's next for us? Oh, um, other than the Joe Dante one that we're about to do? That one. Yeah. What, what do we have in store? The Joe Dante one. Yeah. We're going to be doing Joe Dante. Yes, absolutely. We're going to be talking about the wonderful and amazing matinee and the even more wonderful and even more amazing gremlins. Gremlins. Very cool. I, I, and I gotta, yes. And my next movie, when we get to it, there is a Joe Dante connection. Okay. Let's get to it right now. Joe Dante connection. All right. So I was listening to one of the more recent podcast episodes of Joe Dante's podcast, which is um, the movies that made me with, and he does that with Josh, Josh Olson. That's a and very good had, podcast. Yeah. He had Edgar Wright on there and uh, each episode they have like a theme or whatever. And their, their theme was a uh, needle drops. So Edgar Wright was bringing all his favorite needle drops, which are basically like a moment in the movie where the music just drops in and it has an impact on it. And of course, you know, Tarantino and all this kind of stuff. And he mentioned a movie I had never heard of. 
And he mentioned that he loved the needle drop and it was one of his favorites of all time. And it was a use of modern love by David Bowie in a movie called uh, Mauvais Sang, a French movie. I'm kind of have a blind spot in a lot of French movies. And I was like, I know nothing about Mauvais Sang. I looked it up. Uh, I saw it was directed by uh, Leo Carra, who did Holy Motors. If you've heard of Holy Motors. Okay, yeah, yeah. He also did an episode in Tokyo, which I recently reviewed. And I was like, okay, I got to check this out. But it's from 1987. I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. Well, who's in it? Well, a very young Juliette Binoche. Okay, I'm a little more interested. Julie Delpy when she's like 17. Okay. God, wow. Very interested. That's amazing to see them as kids, you know? Yeah. And then the main character is Alex, played by Denis Levant. And he is like his acting muse this guy is in holy motors and is freaking the whole movie he's amazing he's like an acrobat a magician a contortionist a actor he's everything he's weird he looks odd he's interesting here he's super young basic concept of this movie very french very pretentious and i love it so you got to go in with that in <laughs> mind <laughs> so this may not be for you but that's okay so it goes in and it starts out you see a guy standing on a uh, like a subway train platform and he falls forward and he's died he's killed himself he is the basically like the inside um safe cracker technician technician like he's the the hands guy for a group of underworld French underworld guys that have been doing this for years. The main guy is played by is Mark, played by Michel Piccoli. Piccoli? Piccoli. Who yeah. played in Belle de Jour and among a million other French movies. And his muscle guy is Hans, played by Hans Meyer, who was in Barry Lyndon. Just to give you some context, these are the two older guys. So these two older mobsters are very worried because they've lost their inside guy. They're in debt to an American mobster played by who's a woman surprisingly. And they decide to go find the son of the dead guy who is Alex. And they try to draw him in to their world to do, you know, like one big heist to get um, all the money they need to be out of debt. And he has enough money to start a new life. His dad has just died. Um, That is all almost a MacGuffin because the heist almost doesn't matter. What really matters is this ecstatic French love of life and, you know, weird triangle of love. You know, like Julia Delphi loves him. He's not able to handle that. He gets infatuated with the very young wife of Mark, played by Juliette Binoche. And she is obsessed with the older man. And there's this weird kind of, you know, triangular thing going on there. But really, honestly, it's all about the mood. It's all about the art direction. It's all about the amazing color direction. This is before Red, White, and Blue, the series, obviously, the very famous series that also had Juliette Binoche and Julia Delpy in it. Good point. The Colors Trilogy. And the colors in here are strikingly red, white, and blue. There are just some amazing scenes that only could be pulled off by uh, Dennis Levant because, or Denis Levant, because the physicality that's required is almost, he's almost like a, a clown or an acrobat, but he is just playing a character. So there'll be these amazing scenes. Like there's this scene early on where he's obsessed with Julia Benoche's character, right? And she's in this hotel across the street because it's so hot. There's no place for her to stay. 
So she's in a hotel across the street and he wants to go see her, but she's not really wanting him because she doesn't want to really cheat on her guy, but she's kind of interested in him. And there's this moment where he's at the doorway below her window and he's talking to her on the phone. And this is before cell phones. So they're on a, he's on a corded phone in the lobby below and he has to lean out, you know, so he's leaning back to look up at her in the window and she's looking down and it's beautiful. And the scene when he's, when the song drops is also a beautiful extended tracking shot. There's, there's quite a few um, really wonderful moments in this. If you like that kind of very, not plot heavy, very emotionally charged French, <laughs> you know, artsy movie, this could be you. And if you know Leo Karras style, He's a very distinct style and someone that um, he only makes a few movies. He doesn't direct that many movies. If you look in the last what, 30 years, he's directed what six or seven features. Maybe I haven't seen any of his films. I, I definitely yeah. have to start on this guy. Wow. It's, so- it's quite something. Now, as far as where you can see it, this is available on Hoopla, Canopy, Movie. I actually just rented it on um, Amazon. If you want a DVD of it, we talk about DVDs, get ready to spend 60 or 70 bucks or something because it's not really available. So you gotta, you gotta, when you see something like this is special and it has just come out or been re-released, just grab it. So. Okay. that And I guess in English, it's called Bad, bad Blood. Bad, bad Blood. So yeah, sounds really cool. Sounds very interesting. And it was recommended by Dante in that pod. What's the name of the podcast again? With the, he doesn't um, the, the movies, movies that, that made, made us, the made movies us. That made me. Yes, the movies that made the me. Movie that made me. Um, be, yeah, definitely excited about that. Eric Holmes, I just wanted to add one more thing about the bigamist. I just really dug this up right now on IMDb. Going back to it, it was written by the screenwriter named Collier Young. Collier Young also produced the bigamist. Collier Young, from the years 1948 to 1951. He was married to Ida Lupino. He divorced, ah. he divorced her in 1951. After 1951, in, on November 12th, 1952, he got married to Joan Fontaine. Oh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the movie is called The Bigamist. Oh, that's so wow. perfect. That's, that's, oh, my God. That's called our podcast, Needle Drop. Oh, my so. God. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Boom. Boom, boom, yeah, boom. Isn't that crazy? So Angie Clark, by the way, and Angie Clark, thank you so much for supporting us on Find Your Film. She is a wonderful listener and more importantly, a wonderful friend. And you know what? I'm going to say selfishly, more than a wonderful friend, a wonderful movie picker. I can't wait to see The Bigamist. So Eric Holmes. Dude, I cannot. I want to watch that. I want to. (laughs) Okay, The Bigamist is awesome. But after you just said that. I want to watch the Ida Lupino. St- I, I want to see that story. <laughs> yeah. Look, oh, look. my God. Collier Young, screenwriter, producer, from 1948 to 1961, he was married to Ida Lupino and then Joan Fontaine. 13, obviously, sadness because those marriages didn't work out. But yeah. can you imagine? 13, and he was married two wow. other times on top of that. Because before Ida, he, he married someone else. And then after Joan Fontaine, he ended up marrying um, this woman that named is, Marjorie and March until his death in 1980. Unbelievable. That is, that is oh my God. That is, that's awesome. That's insane. That is just <laughs> insane. 
called your young the bigamist okay the so- bigamist <laughs> written by a bigamist <laughs> before Sorry, two victims of the biggest eric are you done with your picks are we are we wrapped up are, is that it do you have you i got a, one more uh, i got, eric, a got a le- one more okay i got a leftover from uh last week yeah, but um if bruce is doing what i'm thinking he's doing i can jump on with that with you if you okay. want to go on that Let's a little that. longer did you watch vampire i did Oh, I'll, cool. I'll, 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 you know, I'll just hold this one over for another week and we can both go into uh, van- vampire. Vam- vampire together. All right. Okay. Uh, this one is. Should I introduce it or worth- do you want to introduce it? No, you. it's all you. Go ahead. Are, are you cool with that, Mr. Greg? Yes, vampire. Sounds great. All right. All right so vampire um, 1932. This is 75 minutes. You can see it on HBO Max, Criterion, Flicks Fling. Uh, it's everywhere because it's been out for nearly a hundred years um directed by carl or they sometimes go carl th dreyer carl theodore dreyer um most well known probably for the passion of joan of arc considered a classic by many which was the year before this one i believe this is wow i don't know where to start with this this had flown under my radar forever. I'd heard of it vaguely, but I always thought, oh, it's just like another like silent vampire movie that didn't quite cut cut it. You know, you think of Nosferatu, you think of the original Dracula. You know, those are kind of your classic ones from that era. This movie blew me away. This movie mm-hmm. is quite different. Um, first is it of better all, than when... The Painted Bird and Let Him Go? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say too much more about it other than... It's this is more along the lines of almost dream logic and surrealism and um, things like that. It's beautiful. It's genuinely creepy. Even to this day, there are some moments in there and there are at least to my, to my eye, there are at least two sequences that are among the best sequences I've seen in silent movies for sure. This isn't really officially silent. It has a little bit of sound but it's pretty much a silent movie. It's got title cards. It hardly has any talking. I'll let Eric kind of drop in and we can drop a couple other things in. And I have a couple kind of like bonus picks that could be kind of like just little shorts. You could add to this to kind of give you that same spice. But um, what do you say about the, about vampire? Well, real quick to address the silent movie portion, it was shot for Mm -hmm. German, French, and English. Mm -hmm. And then they uh, they would say their lines, but then they would record overdubbing their lines. And so the uh, according to the, the preamble in the movie, the English one's gone, as far as I know. Yeah. And then there's only portions of the French version and portions of the German version. So they kind of mix those two together to make the full movie. And it this it, I don't believe any of the movie is missing. It feels like a complete movie to me. Yeah. But uh. They have the Criterion version on YouTube, and I rented that, but I was in a bad spot to watch that, so I just watched the regular YouTube version, and it plays like a silent, the the one I saw plays like a silent movie because it's got the, the subtitles, but it's got different music over it. And if I would have saw this in the movie, in the movie theater today, and you told me that this was a new David Lynch movie about vampires, yep. I would not know the difference. This movie holds up like big time and like yep. the way they the way the camera is always moving around and, yes. and you just don't see it the camera moves around like it does in a paul thomas anderson movie yes this movie came out in what the 32, 32. like that the camera work in this is beautiful 
it, it, it's one of those uh, movies kind of like assassination of jesse james pause it at any time whatever whatever wherever you pause it i want that on my wall like every shot looks awesome it's it has a narrative to it for sure i mean they kind of read it that's <laughs> right. It's part of the uh, vampire book that they find, but it, it yeah, it, it definitely has a David. If you like David Lynch, I I cannot imagine a world where David Lynch has not seen this movie because this is like a David Lynch movie through and through. But this is and like forty years before he even did anything. It's hard to describe how beautiful some of the cinematography is, and also how amazing some of the shots are. I'm going to give you one sequence, and I bet you. Eric, I bet you agree with me on this one. There's a sequence where the main character, and I'm going to talk about the main actor in a second too, there's an interesting story about him, but the main actor is looking out of a window. Like it's kind of almost like a weird, like long, like open window in the side of this wall. And the camera shows him going, it looks out from outside of that window and it pans past him. And then it pans across to another building. This is a continuous shot. And it pans to another building and you see live action shadows of people dancing against the wall as it continues to move. And then it goes and there's there's multiple shots where this camera will pan and move in different ways and show you things that are, I would say, almost unheard of for something of that era. It's and I and I was going to compare Comparing to style, David Lynch, for sure. Comparing to something older, I would say this kind of is right next to Unchienne Andalou by Louis Bunnell and um, Dolly. Not quite as trippy, but it has some of the same beauty and dream logic. And I would say, if you've never seen Meshes of the Afternoon by Maya Darren, uh, the short Meshes of the Afternoon by Maya Darren, which is probably one of the most, she's the director and the actress, and her and her husband made it um, in their their home uh probably the premier dream logic movie um from that era which definitely influenced david lynch especially mulholland drive that will give you the same sort of tone as this movie but this movie is fantastic yeah the uh the just to jump on those uh the shadow shadow dancing puppet the 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 first one that comes out it looks like it looks like someone's sitting on a bench and kind of moving like moving their feet down and it's a shadow so i I have to watch it again it looks like i don't understand how that happens yeah the feet are up in the ground and then they go down and then they walk away but there's no shadow of a bench or anything i don't understand how and maybe I got to watch it and maybe there is a shadow of a bench there. And there's but a there, ladder sequence too. Remember that ladder yeah, sequence? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. There's like the, cause you understand how shadows work. There's gotta be something there, but the way they play with them, it, it's almost like watching a magic trick. Like it, yes. that's exactly what it is. It's like, and okay, I know they did something, but I have no clue what they did because I, it's and gotta, we're not going to, I would know. say we don't describe it. We're not going to even describe the most amazing reveal in the last third of this movie. There's an amazing, an amazing reveal that a character finds something else that he's not expecting to find. If you know what I'm talking about, not quite. he uncovers, he uncovers something and finds something when he takes a cover off of something. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And there's some point of view shots that have to go with that, which are, truly amazing and actually yeah. frightening i was actually frightened by something that i saw in there i was like wow this movie can still do something that's creepy <laughs> that, that much far down the line okay the um i don't know how to describe this 
Actually, this describes most of the movie. I don't know how to describe this, um, but where he uh, kind of sort of becomes a ghost or maybe yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That whole sequence, dude, that was awesome. Yeah, like I, 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 I see how they do it because they, they did the uh, what, what they call it the uh, double exposure, double exposure or whatever. Yeah, but like the the way they the way they choreographed that. To make it working with with the background as well as it, because it's not just here's a background and here's someone walking, you know, a blurry, you know, transparent version of someone walking through. Like he's actually interacting with the uh, with the stuff within the background. Yeah, it it looks fantastic. Like you figured they had to do that in camera, probably. Yeah, and 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 it looks it looks good as as good as any CGI you would see today, where they would do that same thing, and. Yeah, I I don't understand how this movie was made in 1932. I really don't. (laughs) Freaking amazing. So I would say any cinephile, doesn't matter if you like horror or not, because it doesn't really matter, especially if you like things that kind of tend a little more towards the surreal. To see this movie when it was made is going to blow your mind that you haven't seen it yet. If you haven't seen it, it's pretty amazing. Oh, one last little little trivia. Did you read the trivia about Julian West, who's the main actor playing Alan Gray in this? No, I, I, as you notice with the bigamous bit, I don't read yeah. trivia. Or do this <laughs> is fascinating. This movie was fully funded by the main actor, and the only the only thing he said is, "You have to make me the main actor." So it's the only movie he's ever acted in because really? he gave him all, all the money to make this movie. And the funny thing about it is, he's probably not a really good actor. And what it does is. In this movie, he's almost a cipher, right? He kind of almost floats through this movie, like just kind of like amazed by everything. And I'm sure the director was smart enough to say like, well, this is what I got. How can I use this? But it actually adds to the dreaminess of the whole movie because this actor is kind of just like floating through it. It's pretty amazing. Well, I, th- I think actually he probably did act again. He was actually bitten by a vampire on set and just <laughs> he, he he stayed he stayed in his little uh, catacombs until recently where he came back and called himself Tom Hardy. <laughs> right? <laughs> he kind of looks like Tom Hardy a little bit. This so, movie, uh, I, I just can't can't tell you enough how this blew me away. This is five stars, straight up five star movie. Yeah. Wow, wow. Five star for yeah. you too, Eric Holmes? Oh yeah, by a lot. And then and kind of what Bruce was talking about earlier, this was a movie I keep seeing the criterion, like when I go to entertain my, I just keep seeing it sitting there and I keep, I never pulled the trigger on it until Bruce saw it for whatever reason you saw it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, why did I, you see I, I keep, it? I keep almost watching this, but then I never do. And then Bruce was like, I'm watching it. I'm like, fuck it. I'm finally pulling the trigger. I wish I would have pulled the trigger so much sooner. Cause I love this movie so much. Wait, wait, wait. It so was, you have the disc, Eric. What's that? Do you have the disc? Did you buy the disc then? No, no, no uh, you saw it on I, YouTube. Well, you saw it on YouTube. Yeah, that's it. yeah. But I'm I'm picking that up next time I go there. That's I'm, yeah, I and it's a cool Criterion edition too. It's like a double thick one. It has a giant booklet. It has like the whole script in there. It's got all kinds of stuff. It's weird. Well, what? Hey, I, I mean, this is a compliment, compliment, Bruce. But why did it take you so long to get to this movie? Because I'm sure this is a movie that you've always wanted to see. No, like I said, I mean, it's one of those movies. Like I kind of sort of discounted it because. First of all, I didn't know that he was the same director as The Passion of Joan of Arc. If I had known oh. that ahead of time, I would have just okay. jumped in. I didn't know that until after I started watching it. I'm like, who directed this? And then I looked it up and I was like, oh my God, I would have known that. I would have gone right in. But to me, I always just counted it as kind of one of these silent era vampire movies that were just kind of like, okay, but not that great. I mean, I'd seen Nosferatu, right? So that's all you need to know. And boy, was I wrong. So yeah. That's amazing. Now, 
Regarding Julian West, did you go on his IMDb? Because I'm on his IMDb. He he tried to go back to acting, didn't work out. So <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but he ended up being the becoming the editor in chief of Town and Country magazine in the 1940s, and he became buddies with Noel Coward, not a bad writer, Lauren Bacall, not a bad actress, Cole Porter, pretty good musician, wow, Coco Chanel. Oh okay. my God. Uh, Cecil Baton. So ultimately he ended up becoming a fashion editor at this magazine called Vogue throughout the fifties and sixties. And, and then ultimately became the fashion editor over at Harper's Bazaar. So he, his style he was openly gay. His style was really well-respected and he would, I'm looking at IMDb. He'd ultimately mentor up and coming, up and coming, fashion designers, Bill Blass, Oscar oh De La Renta, and Calvin <laughs> Klein. So maybe the movie career didn't completely work out, even though that was a classic film, but he he ended up having a great second career in fashion. So yeah, The wow. fact that uh, his only credits is one as an actor, one as a producer, both for Vampire, I'd say he's got the most perfect IMDb <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> Wow, that is a great way to close. So many great recommendations. I think this is probably, uh, I'm thinking about of, of our uh, past episodes, just, just chock filled with really great films, excluding Let Him Go. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm so sad. Why am I taking so many shots? They gave us a screening link. You know, I should be the nice guy about it. We love Diane Lane and Kevin Costner, but his, wait, what do we cover? His House, The Bigamist, and now Vampire, all straight right up, right down the gullet in movies. I definitely have to rewind. So the, the Plan Nine from Outer Space, the then, and then then uh, Dana Gould, Bungle, the you know it's Bungle stuff. Yeah. That, yeah, we have a lot of stuff. Listeners, value added stuff. Find your film. Thank. Oh, and Kindred, the film that I, I like. That. I like my my own movie, Kindred. <laughs> Everything except let him go. We will never, by the way, we will never get any, any more screening links from from, pub, from movie studios with, with how many shots I took on this movie. Again, who knows? We could be wrong. That's could my be, job. You, well, know, well, you know Come on now. I'm the hitman. Here's the thing about that. Here's the thing about that, though. Yeah. You know, you take the hits, but that means when we love something, you know, it's, you know. It's true. Oh, oh true. you know, they, they, they are kind of hard on this one. But uh, they really like that one. Oh, that's because he just got a link. Not so, because if you recall, you just got to you just got to be honest about it. And you know, and hey, that doesn't mean that uh, just because someone makes a bad movie or a not great movie doesn't mean they can't come back again and make one that really knocks it out of the park. So Gauntlet's thrown, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we go, a couple of plug things. Eric Holmes, uh, where can people if? listening to this podcast if they were interested in just what your movie's about or the rpg stuff i know all that stuff is in development they want to yeah. get a whole what i mean is there anything can they get a hold of you can they whatever well, the, the script's not in development that's done but the uh, rpg is still working on that but yeah if, i mean if you want to read the script or uh you want to um i know they got rule 20 that you can do like the art the rpg games um I don't really know how to use that very well because mine's just, I'm just trying to do it as a tabletop. But uh, yeah, if you're interested and you want to kind of play test it, email me hamslime at gmail.com and we'll, you know, figure something out for sure. Okay. Hamslime at 
I am slamming <laughs> that name. My goodness, what a that that sounds like a Carl Dreyer film. That sounds very nightmarish. By the way, uh, before we go, Vampire reminded me of the time. I keep on saying this: the time I actually rewatched M, the first time film M, several years back with a close buddy of mine. And the one thing that as I'm watching goes to your point, Eric Holmes, regarding a David Lynch film. The thing that really gets me about films from that era black and white photography, German expressionism, whatever kind of thing. It's so many years ago and you get, I just got a little bit frustrated watching M because I said, this is one of the most beautifully shot films I've ever seen in my life. Yep. And how many bleeping years it's pathetic that 70 or 80 years later with cinema as it is today, that we're still going back to this era i'm not saying films haven't improved but these movies are so transcendent but why are these movies visually so much more memorable than most great films out today you know it's one of those things i don't know i i I wonder if a lot of it maybe this is not the point you're making but like i I think of what movies because look nosferatu is great movie i love that movie i love vampire so much more and it because it's got like so much more kind of in it and going for it and like just the the way the filmmaking was done like i I said it it looks like you could have told me it came out today and i would have believed you um that's thrown right there i'm drier over murnau that's very wow Uh, yes but uh oh but i i wonder i wonder if you know because uh say a hundred years from now you know uh People are going to go back. Oh, remember in the two thousand in the the early twenties? Uh, you know, I watched this uh, Avengers Endgame, and it really holds up by today's standards. But they don't know anything about like uh, the Uncle Peckerheads of the world or the green rooms of the world or you know the the stuff that, in my opinion, are fantastic movies. But maybe hundreds of years from now, they're just going to eventually kind of disappear into history and so people are only going to know about the maybe the really popular ones of yeah. our era that we're living in maybe that's what vampire was and it, this is also why i like going back and looking up old movies and when we found elise skee-ball shade that's a perfect example there's <laughs> right. so much there's so much gold there so many pearls to find that just got erased from history and so it, it's it's you know, fun going back and trying to dig up whatever you can because you never know what pearls you're going to find. And yeah, yeah Vampire's a great example of that. Yeah, I looked, Bruce, I, I saw those IMDb photos and I said, oh my God, these are some of the most beautiful images I've ever seen in my life. It's so, amazing. Wow. All right, guys, that is it. That's so many movies. Uh, once you guys see this, these movies, hit us up. And me, Eric, Bruce, whatever. We'd, we'd love to hear what you think about some of the movies that we recommended to you. And Bruce, do you want to say anything before we get out of here? Check out our Joe Dante episode. It's going to be tons of fun. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. <laughs> now, that is a way to end things. See you guys. <laughs> <laughs>